Galatians chapter 6. And let's take a moment and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we give you thanks, we give you praise for being in our midst here tonight. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord, to perform what you've promised, perform your word in us and through us. Lord, we do look to you for answers, for direction, instruction in righteousness. Thank you for your help tonight. Thank you for your grace. We believe it is sufficient. Lord, and by your power and by your spirit, we are able to do all things and do them well. Lord, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, you know, one of the hallmarks of who we are is shown in how we watch out for each other. In other words, the body of Christ has never, the plan has never been for us to, you know, corporately or individually for us to be islands unto ourselves. Uh, It was never God's plan that we do something alone, uh, that we do the work of the kingdom alone, that we even live our lives for God alone. How many know, in one sense, we know the truth that there is one um, God and one mediator between God and man, that is the man Christ Jesus. And so I don't need you to get to God. I don't have to go through another person to mediate. That, that was Jesus who did that. And so my relationship with God stands on its own in Christ. At the same time, we are not supposed to take that truth and that principle and magnify it so far where we say, I don't need anybody else. Or I'm not supposed to, you know, I, I, it's just me and the Lord, we walk together and we love each other and everything's good. Well, that's not really God's intention. His, his plan wasn't that we're doing things alone, but that we be in uh, a family. Different metaphors are used to describe our relationship with God and how we relate to each other. We're called, of course, a family. We're called a church. Uh, we're, we're called a flock. <laughs> right? We are sheep. He is the, the great shepherd. And uh, we're also called an army. You know, the number of things that describe our function, but they have to do with togetherness. And uh, how many know that we live and, uh, in a time that we could, we, we could legitimately say that we are in a battle a, uh, of a spiritual nature? All right? There is an enemy. He hates your guts, wants to stop the work of God, wants to stop you and I from moving forward, wants to get you and I all tangled up and caught up with uh, little things of daily life so that we lose our focus on eternal issues. I mean, if all of us are spending all of our time just trying to make it to the next day, how many know we're not impacting the, uh, the, 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 the world for eternity? All right. We've got, we can't be so mired and boggled down in day-to-day stuff that we don't have a greater vision. That doesn't mean to say that we can't do both at the same time. It doesn't mean, what, what I mean by that, it doesn't mean that we have to have every little detail and everything perfect in life before we can be used by God. But I tell you what, too many people, I think, are in a place where there is so much going on that they're just trying to make it that they're really not focused on doing something for the Lord. And, of course, that's not the plan. But we, we could say that we are in a battle. We are in a spiritual war. But how many know if you were, um, if you were to go to war, naturally speaking, it would be a good idea if you were more than a one-man army. 
<laughs> be a good idea if you had some other people around you. And that's really about everything we do. God doesn't want us going alone. You know that uh, the Lord Jesus didn't do his ministry all by himself. And if anyone was a powerhouse, it was him. <laughs> if anyone knew could do it all right, it would be him. But how many know he gathered the 12 and he gathered the 70? And you can see that at one point he, the, he sent the 70 out and uh, he sent them out in groups of two. All right. He even said, no, I don't want you going out alone. Take somebody else with you. I remember in the Old Testament where, uh, where, where Samson was wrecking havoc with the Philistines. Remember Samson, the, he was anointed with strength, and he was a judge of Israel, and he was there to set them free from the Philippines. and <laughs> The Philippines. <laughs> uh, the Philistines. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, any, and uh, you remember one time the, the, the thing that he did almost sounds kind of uh, cruel and was for the foxes. Remember, the fo- remember he was going to mess up and take care of their crops, so he tied foxes' tails together, lit them on fire, and they went, and they went flying through the fields and burned up their crops. And, uh, but you can see a picture that uh, God wants us to light this place up in, in groups, <laughs> at least in twos. And... Uh, uh, the Lord, in other words, he's not, in, he's not into us being, you know, lone rangers just unto ourselves. We're supposed to do things together. Listen, we don't want to have an attitude like, uh, like that of Cain. You remember in Genesis chapter 4, after Cain killed his brother and the Lord came talking to him. And uh, how many know the Lord knows everything but doesn't always act like he does? <laughs> when he said, Cain, where's your brother? Uh, where, where, where's Abel? And, uh, Ab- you know, Cain had a smart aleck attitude and he you know he's talking to God and he says you know I'm paraphrasing I don't know he said am I my brother's keeper well how many know the answer to that was should have been yes God really designed that we be that way okay that we are looking out for each other we're what we're, we're getting each other's back you know what I'm talking about that we're not making each other go it alone and, and we're all living for God and doing doing our best to serve him and and live for him but God designed a great support system. It's called the body of Christ. And we're all backing each other up. If one of us sees another person that's falling, we lift him up. Amen. If another person is going astray, there's someone else there to say, hey, come back. And, and we're doing these things in love and doing it with the, with the right heart and motive. But God designed us to be together. We're family. We're supposed to work together. We should be watching out for each other. You know, over, again, I'm giving you these scriptures, but stay there in Galatians. Uh, over in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, a scripture we use in weddings all the time, but the scripture says two are better than one. Two are better than one. It says because they have a good reward for their labor. It said if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And that's a, that's a strong statement. Woe to him who is alone. God does not want you getting out of the pack, getting away from everybody else. And I think Pastor Mickey used an illustration about that recently, about the animals that would try to separate with the lions or whatever, tigers or one of those guys. Hyenas. Uh, <laughs> would try to separate the younger or the older or the weaker of the of the their prey and to get them alone so they can be vulnerable and attack them and, and likewise we are not supposed to get into those situations and that's one reason God created and established the local church do, you, you, do we understand that the local church is of God 
you know, I know there's a, there's a thought that goes through many today that, well, you know, we don't need the organi- organization of religion or a local church. We all, we all just need to be free and have our relationship with God, uh, and it, we don't need these kind of institutions. Uh, I just want to tell you that's wrong. That, that is completely wrong. And uh, should we be free? Yes. But, but something that God establishes doesn't produce bondage. Right. The local church is not to, not to produce bondage. And what, what people do is they grab a few examples of some extreme cases where there were, there were ultra uh, rigid and ultra uh, just legalistic. And there have been groups that have done that. And they say, see, it's just binding. This man's institution, it's, it's, it's man's idea. Well, listen, God is the one who came up with apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. God is the one who said over in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10 that we should not forsake the assembling or gathering of ourselves together. It was always God's will that we get together. He said even the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, and, and in that day, he said, he used this language as the habit of some is becoming. Okay. In other words, back in their day, people were losing their focus and they were starting to not go to church, not gather together. And he said, watch out. He said, you can't do that. You, you need to get together. It needs to be a regular part of your life where you get together with other believers. God, again, did not design us to be apart. Even if you look over in the, in the book of Acts, uh, I believe the fourth chapter, when they were being persecuted and threatened not to speak in the name of Jesus, the Bible says they went to their own company or their own companions. Uh, well, where did they get their own companions? They were those of like mind, of like faith, those who were serving God together. And it's always important that we have such a group, okay, that we can run to, that we can go to, that they can be there to get our back and be there to help and support. God wants us to be a part of a local church and family. And again, we need each other so very much more than many times we realize. Much I could say about that subject. Uh, you know, of course, we are, we are joints that supply one to another. A lot we can say about that, but it's not my main focus uh, to explain that in detail. But I do want to look over here at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And let's begin reading in verse 6. Galatians 6 and verse 6. Uh, and and keep, this whole, keep this main thought in mind as we're going through this, uh, what I've s- shared with you already. It says, Let him who taught, who is taught the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. All right? Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Uh, Amplified Bible says about that verse, it reads this way, let him who receives instruction in the word of God share in all good things with his teacher contributing to his support. All right, this, this concept was not exactly the norm for uh, the Old Testament Jews. They were used to basically being taxed for the support of in their day was uh, was a priest, all right? How I many know? You understand the word priest as as in relationship to a minister is not used in the New Testament. That's that's Old Testament language. Sure, all believers are called kings and priests before our God, but uh, 
that's not the language used in the New Testament. That's why we don't use those, that kind of terminology anymore. But in the Old Testament, they were used to being taxed, and it was a part of their obligation and duty. And, of course, in the New Covenant now, things are different. We are to do things voluntarily. We are, we, we, are to, we are to serve, we are to give to the ministry, we are to serve the Lord and the, do these things um, out, of, uh, out of a desire of our, of our own hearts and uh, praise the Lord. It's, again, it's supposed to be voluntary, it's not supposed to be something that's imposed upon us, but we freely give of our own will and that's why he was instructing them to do these type of things in the old covenant would have meant it wouldn't have been an issue it was demanded okay it was required it was you're going to deal with the irs <laughs> or something of that nature if they did if they didn't come if they didn't didn't comply the scripture goes on to say here now this is the context now he said do not be deceived god is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now, we know that scripture very well, I think. I mean, we, we can quote it. It's important to understand that this is a very, this is very strong language. In fact, this book is kind of a strong book written to this church. But this is strong language. He said, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Uh, when, the, when the word here is used that says mock, uh, God is not mocked, it means to to turn up the nose or or, or to sneer you know it's a word that that uh, uh, really means uh, to to scorn or to treat with contempt he said God is not mocked sneered at put your nose up at him and that's he's saying that in relationship to this law called sowing and reaping in other words if a person does not believe and practice the law of sowing and reaping one thing it's clear the Bible says that person is deceived do not be deceived God is not mocked in other words he set up the system whereby the things that we do will produce a response. I believe this is one of those principles, those universal principles or laws that applies to all people, saved or not. That what they sow, they reap. Someone said, I'm just, I've been, you know, doing things and, and uh, n no response. I guess I'm getting away with it. Well, sneering, making a mockery of God and acting like, uh, you know, we, I can do anything or live any old way and treat people however I want to treat them or withhold from people whatever I want to withhold and everything's just fine with me. No, no. Payday's coming. Hmm. Now, I don't mean God's going to slap you down, but it's just built into creation. Okay, this law governs things called sowing and reaping. We see it clearly in the natural realm, but uh, it's what that is is a picture of how things work spiritually. You plant, it grows, and it harvests. How many know that gap in the middle is a reason why many people uh, get deceived? Because I do it, and no response. Some people... Uh, some people quit doing good things because they do it 
and man, here I am going through all this trouble trying to do good, trying to give and bless and, and speak right and all these things, and I turn around and everything's the same. There is a time between planting and harvesting. Just like the person who does evil and thinks, I got away with it. No. And so they may keep doing it, and then after a while they'll realize, harvest time. Yikes. And they got junk growing all around their life. Well, the person who does some good and then immediately looks for a response, listen, don't, don't, don't be concerned about that. Keep doing good. Keep doing good. This is a law. God will not be mocked. It will come back to you. God will not be mocked. There's a time in there. There's a due season that, that, that will come. Uh, but this is something that God has set in motion, that giving and receiving, that, that sowing and reaping uh, is something that works every single time. Now, uh, again, this language is used here. Where are we at? Verse 7. In relationship to giving into the ministry. I want, want you just to take note of that. I don't mean it doesn't apply in other areas. This is a principle I believe applies in many areas. It's a, it, it's, a, it's a governing principle or law in our world. But this is in context with those giving into the gospel, into the ministry. And those are the ones that God is saying, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for what you sow, you will reap. I don't know about you, but I know some folks who have sown, and this is real good news. I know some folks who have been avoiding sowing, and it's not good news, but uh, things can still change in the future. But if you've sown, God says this very clear and plain, you will reap. Yes. Amen. Amen. If there's been sadness or depression, thinking, no, it's not, stop right now. Quit it. Knock that off. Don't allow that to reign in your mind one more day. The Bible says that you will reap if you've sown. Yeah, it's the word, it's the word of God. He goes on to say in verse 8, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose hearts and so those who have sown life and those who have sown to the spirit it's important here this seems to be a part of this that we don't lose hearts we don't give up we don't quit but we continually uh, believe God that his word is coming to pass in our lives and so uh, you know just like we would look at a person and think they would be quite foolish to go out to their garden right about in, you know, midsummer, late summer, uh, fall, and go out there and be all confused when they find no corn and they find no cucumbers, no watermelon, no tomatoes, no jalapenos, no... <laughs> No, whatever else. If they didn't sometime before that, a few months before that, plant something. I mean, if someone called you and they were all up in arms and all confused, they said, there's nothing in my garden. I mean, I'm out there. I went out there yesterday, went out there today. There is absolutely nothing there. 
I mean, what would you say to them? You would be, really? There's nothing there? You might be thinking, okay, what could be wrong here? Bad soil, you know, what's... Have you been in sin? Would you think, have you been living right? Did you confess your sins? Have you been in... Have you been skipping church? That's why there's nothing in your garden. You might be going through all kinds of things. It probably might be a last thought. You might finally ask them, you know, when did you plant? And the person would, could say, well, no, I didn't plant anything. But I'm believing God. Uh, I'm believing God. I asked the Lord for tomatoes and jalapenos and watermelon. Huh? And I believe that the Lord is a good God. I believe He loves me. I believe that I'm saved. My sins are forgiven. And, uh, and I prayed and I believed I receive a crop, harvest in my garden. What would you say to that person? <laughs> you would say, friend, <laughs> you're missing something here. Yes, God loves you. Yes, prayer is important. But that's not how gardens grow. You must plant a seed. Amen. And then, of course, keep some water on it. You know, make sure it's doing good there. And, uh, and tend that thing. But it's the powers in the seed. That's the main thing. More important than anything else, you've got to get a seed in the ground. Likewise, when we talk about other types of reaping, People are always so mean to me. Man, people are just constantly against me. Well, what have you been planting? Wouldn't that be a logical consideration? Instead of, man, I just hate people. There's just something wrong with everyone. Well, maybe you've been sowing that way. And if someone is praying for praying to God for money, for finances, for increase financially, it makes no sense for the person to be doing that if they haven't been planting seed. In this case, you know, this is the context of this. Again, it applies to other areas, but the context is giving into the ministry. Amen. And so it would be wrong for a person. They'd be just out of their mind going out saying, the Lord's providing for me. I just believe God's going to take, God's going to increase my, me financially. Can I tell you? No, He's not. But He has made a way for you to increase. And He even promised that He'd give you the seed. That's one thing He did do. He'd give you a seed. And if you will do the right thing with the seed, then it's a part of the system. That it'll come back to you. And it will grow and it will increase. And God said it would happen. Amen. And so, uh, it wouldn't be wise to expect something that was never planted. Likewise, we can see this from this principle, that what we plant is what will grow. Not I plant one thing and reap something else. Just like an apple seed will cause an apple tree to grow, producing apples. Uh, likewise, if I want 
uh, I need to sow seeds in different areas of my life if that's what I desire. You know, the scripture says, he who has friends must show himself friendly. Well, that's, uh, that's a sowing. So I want, uh, nobody likes me. Uh, uh, I don't have any friends. Well, you de- do need to sow friendship. You need to be a friend. Don't, I mean, no, being a friend is not putting demands on someone else to be your friend. That's a sure way to not have a friend. You know, someone, someone uh, talked to me uh, quite a while back, and they wanted to, and I like this person and everything, and uh, they wanted to, they're in, the, in ministry uh, in a different city, and they wanted to have a relationship with me where we, you know, could bounce things off each other or whatever, just uh, they use the term iron, sharpens iron, and, uh, and I believe in all that, and they wanted to kind of talk regularly, and, you know, when they said that, I'm like, well... I said, you know, I'm, if you want to call, <laughs> I wasn't trying to be uh, down on them at all. I said, listen, listen if you call, much as I'm available, I've, I'll talk to you and we can, we can chat. I said, but I had to tell them, I said, a relationship like you're kind of wanting, it's not something we can really force. Because if it's really going to be mutual and enjoyable, uh, it kind of just has to happen. You know what I'm saying? You can't just, we're going to be friends. I'm going to put you in my calendar. And, uh, well... That's not the way friends really are. I don't know about you, but I have, I, have, I have friends that sometimes I go a long time and never talk to them. But I know at the drop of a hat, I could talk to them and everything would be just like normal. Just like you saw them the day before. That's what a real friendship is like. Uh, n- not someone who's all of a sudden concerned. <gasps> are they mad at me? <laughs> Did I do something wrong? That's not really a fr- good friendship. Uh, be a friend. Be a friend. That means you're there for someone, and uh, uh, you're reliable. You're not not that suction cup. You know that leech that just kind of sucks the life out of everyone. Every time they leave you, they feel like. <sighs> That's not a good friend. I didn't plan on saying all this about friendship, but it is sowing. We need to sow, and sow the type of friendship that we want. Someone's there for us. Well, be there for people. Be fun. Hmm? Doesn't mean friends don't ever share struggles with each other. But if that's all that happens, that's not a good friend either. Every time you talk, you just want to hang out. You just want to, you know, laugh it up a little bit. And it's just problem after problem. Well, don't sow that to people. Okay. But anyways, uh, uh, other things, whatever we want. Uh, that's what we're supposed to sow in order to reap those types of things. Apples, you know, of course, produce apples. Finances, you say, I want a financial harvest. You got to plant financial seed. Okay. And there's other there's other ways that seed is used in the Bible. Remember, Jesus taught us that that the word is the, is is the word of God is seed, and that kind of seed is what we plant in our own hearts. For it to grow and produce everything that God has planned and promised for us. And, and it's important that we put the seed in there. Say, so I'm just not getting what other Christians are getting. People are excited and getting things from the Lord. Well, what kind of seed are you planting in your own heart? That will determine what's actually going to uh, transpire and come out in your life. All right. Here we go. Verse 9. No, we read verse 9. Verse 10. This is where we want to get. Verse 10, therefore, as we have opportunity, 
let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity, what did he say? Do good for everybody, but especially those who are of the household of faith. You notice a priority system with God. He wants you and I to be a blessing to everyone, but he identifies specifically that those who are of the household of faith, they're first. They are priority over everyone. Do you see that? A lot of good things we can, we can look at here. Uh, I like how we're called a household of faith. Not a household of doubt. Not a household of fear. Not a household of religion. Not a household of rules. Hmm. Household of faith. What should characterize us? What number of things that should? This is one of them. We believe God. How many know believing God is a very positive thing? We stay as we remain positive people when we fulfill who we are, a household of faith. Hmm. People struggle all around. You got to get among that group over there. They believe that anything can happen. They believe that all things good will happen. They continually preach positive messages over there. People smile at church. It's amazing. They'll even laugh once in a while. They actually enjoy themselves. Those are all responses of faith. If I believe that everything's going down and there's nothing I can do about it and my life is going to be in the pit, I'm not happy. But if I believe that even in the, middle of, in the middle of a trial or test, I believe I'm coming out. If I believe that what God promised me is true and it is at work and happening in my life, that'll put a smile on my face. Amen. I can tell what you believe tonight. Amen. I mean, I can coax you, then it's just fake, right? But I can tell. If, you, if you're going around grumpy all day long, you're not in faith. Hmm, that's not the way faith behaves. Say, but you don't know my circumstance. No, I don't. But I do know what God promised you. It's the same thing He promised me. And I know that if you believe it, and I know that you can, that things can turn around. Everything can be different. Amen. But notice this phrase in here. Uh, he said, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. How many of you know that kind of clarifies this? It doesn't mean that you and I should always, in every circumstance, do good to everybody. Do good for everybody. Because I don't always have the opportunity to do good for everybody. And it's not my responsibility to be the provider. To be the need meter. And if you're like, you know, many of us are, some have uh, even a greater maybe gift there of, of mercy, but we see people who are hurting, struggling, or maybe struggling. This context is all financial. It's all about giving. We see people who are missing out on something financially. We want to help. And we think, man, I could, wish I could just fix that for them. You can't. And in, not in every situation are you supposed to. As you have opportunity, go ahead. 
But we need to understand this. You don't, you don't take this out of the setting of the New Testament. The Scripture teaches that those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. That, that, that it, without going into that teaching, that implies maturity. maturity. Mature people are led by the Spirit. And so if you have a certain amount of finances and you see someone who has need of finances, it's important as a Christian that you are led by the Spirit as to whether you should help that person or not. And if we're in a situation where we always say, you know, I'm just waiting on the leading of the Lord, and in the last 10 years we've never done anything for anybody, let's not deceive ourselves. We're using that whole led by the Spirit thing as a cop to be stingy and not, not help anybody with anything. Okay? Be led by the Spirit, but at the, at the same time, uh, you know, if you see, the Scripture also tells us, if you see your brother in need, if you see them and you don't do anything for them, you know, be warmed and filled, we just say, oh, bless you, brother. You know, what, what, what good is that? That doesn't help. But in the middle of it, I've had situations where, and these are, maybe these are exceptions. I think they probably are. I had someone uh, at different times, a person came and said, I want to give this money to you. And I got to tell you, 99% of the time, my answer is, yes, thank you. That was God. (laughs) (laughs) Know what I'm talking about? In other words, I'm just, but I've had a, a few situations where on the inside, it was, I didn't think it was right. And I still, you know, thank you, just, you know, uh, just, I think maybe you should use that for something else right now. And, uh, and I didn't receive it. And not because I didn't need it or didn't want it, just because it didn't seem right. And my relationship with God is more important than any kind of money. More important than anything. And there are times when you may see a person who, um, you know, they may come to you asking for help, financial help. And many times it might be, you might have a big fat green light that says, do it. Help them out. But there may be times when it's not right. It may be times when the Lord wants to minister uh, and meet that person's need another way. Or maybe the Lord has already talked to them, dealt with them to do something, but they haven't been listening. And we're overriding that. So we don't know everything. We don't know what the Lord is doing at all. Uh, we know He wants everybody's needs met. No question about that. But these things uh, are important that we pay attention to when and where we are do thi- to do things. But again, this principle should be clear as we have opportunity. I don't personally have opportunity to fix everything for everybody. I don't have that much money. <laughs> you don't have that much money to take care of everybody's need and to give to everyone. All right. And so we need to realize that we're all limited. Let God be God. Let's be a vessel. Let's be someone that he can direct and choose to use at different times. But let God be God in all these situations. But again, I wanted to bring out this point. This is, I'm endeavoring to make this the main thrust of what we're talking about here. That uh, we take care of our own first. Take care of our own first uh, before others. Now, uh, another scripture that deals with this is 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. 
Now, of course, that situation is dealing with, I believe, direct family members, blood family members, because this, the topic there is the discussion of widows and taking care of widows, and, and he was teaching that, that widows ought not be a burden on the church unless there's no one else in the church can step in and, and help out, uh, but basically, a, you know, if a child or, you know, grown child has their parent pass away, one of them, then the children should take care of the other parents, okay, and they should take care of their own first. He said, if you don't do that, man, you're worse than people who aren't even saved. Not saying that they're not saved, but they've denied the faith or the way that uh, Christians are supposed to behave and act, and they're worse than an even uh, how an unbeliever would act, okay? And so we not, I need to understand that that is God's principle. Who is the Lord going to take care of more, you or the person who's rejected Him? Now, we know that God loves the world, loves everyone, gave His life for everyone, but I have priority over those who've rejected Him. I'm in the kingdom. I'm in His family. He is my dad. I am His son. I have priority. Just like with me, as a, not as a pastor, but as a father, as a man and a father, my kids are more important than your kids. You know what I'm talking about? And it should be that way with you uh, in relationship to my kids. Okay? Why? That's my responsibility. And I take care of my own first. Doesn't mean I won't help your kids. But if it's a choice, mine are living. (laughs) And then I'll get around to yours if I can. If I have opportunity. All right. But let's bring this back into a family of God scenario again each other right here it's first it's priority we need to take care of our own we need to have each other's back we need to be looking out for each other okay someone says I'm just not so much into relationships well God is Hmm. he really is he's really in to one another and each other and that we're there for each other. We pray for one another. We're there, you know, we're there to help and be led by the Spirit. For the Lord, you know, I'm not saying that the Lord wants us all to be, you know, that we're all in just super tight, close-knit relationships. You know, no, that's not going to happen. There's too many people. Okay? And that will happen with some. But all of us should be there for each other. It happens in the local church especially. Beyond that, it does happen in the whole body of Christ, as much as that's, uh, that, that's a possibility. But is there any temporal benefit to being in the household of faith? There absolutely is. Of course, we know our eternal benefits, but what's a temporal benefit? Here's one. We're there for each other. We're not alone. We don't have to deal with things alone. You're going to be attacked. Can I prophesy to you? There'll be some hiccups. There'll be some bumps in the road. Here's what I can tell you. One, the Lord will never leave you. He made that promise. And how many know, here's what we can also say, and better be able to say, that we'll also be there for each other. We'll also be there to lift up when one falls down. God designed us to be in that type of relationship. So there's much said about reaching out to the world, and that's a very important message in and of itself. We know the Great Commission, how we are called to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But we must remember that one of the ways we do so, one of the ways that we reach the world 
is by having good relationships with each other. That makes the kingdom of God, the family of God, very, very attractive. Remember what Jesus said over in John 13? John 13 and verse 35, he said, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I mean, what a great testimony. Well, what a great testimony about the body of Christ at large. But again, we don't directly control that. You know what I'm saying? But God put us into smaller groups. What should be said about Life Church? What should be the message? What should be the message that is being communicated by us to the world? Someone said that we love them. No, that's not first. We love each other. We love, and there's an open invitation for them to get in the each other part. So it's not we're not excluding anyone, but and we do love love people in the world. Jesus loved, gave his life for the world. But there's something attractive about being in relationships. And I remember hearing one time about how how cults would draw people. You know, like weird cults that have these groups and you know do all kinds of crazy stuff and you think why would someone get involved with that but what what what, uh, what I was told that they did is they would they would overwhelm people with love when they first came just the, the love bomb and they it would overwhelm them with love and then of course if they wanted to leave then they'd heap guilt on them and try to you know keep them in there we don't want to get into that business but our love for each other just shows a basic need in human beings they're attracted to a group who will care about you. And there's a whole lot of people out in our world that we could get them into the kingdom, into, into heaven. They'll get saved as a result of seeing our love for each other and knowing that they can be a part of that, how it's, how it's supernatural. It's a powerful thing. And so uh, I want you to know this, that when we, when we speak about this subject, it's not with the purpose and with the end goal of making a person say, yeah, those people need to be there for me. That, that, they, I have needs, and I'm glad that they're hearing this because now people will come and help me. You missed the point if that's what's going on in your mind. Okay. The point is you should be there to help someone else. Obviously, if we're all doing it, we all have that mindset, we're all getting helped. But if we go and the, approach it from the other angle, that's called self-centeredness, and that disrupts everything that God wants to do. It's the exact opposite of the love of God. Okay? So if I caught you, quick repent, <laughs> and no one will ever know that you were thinking, yeah, they're going to give to me now. Help me out. Quit it. Who can you help out? Who are you looking for to, to help? Let me, let me throw this out at you. Uh, two guys going out to lunch. One of them, net worth $10,000. The other one, their net worth $10 million. Who should buy lunch? Now, I'm not saying this as an absolute law in every circumstance situation. 
but in light of what we're discussing, who should buy lunch? I can see that one of them needs to sow a seed more than the other. But so many have the mindset, well, oh, well, the guy who's got so much money, they should buy it. Maybe he got there because he bought lunch. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe he's already done some sewing, and, uh, and don't get me wrong. If he wants to buy, let him buy, but, you know, that's if only if he gets to the check first. But people have the mindset, well, someone who doesn't have much, someone who's more poor, they, they don't, they're not the ones that need to be given a lot. Exactly the opposite's true. They're the ones who need to give. Hmm. God didn't send Elisha to a rich person when there was the famine and the drought. Sent someone who had nothing. And the miracle happened when she gave her last. Gave everything that she had. Hmm. Made him a cake first. That's when multiplication happened in that household. So we need to have a, a right mindset about all these things that the seed is so much p- more powerful than just uh, somebody taking care of a, uh, a temporary need. You know, everyone knows the saying about teaching a man to fish. Give him a fish, he eats for a day. Teach him to fish, he eats for a lifetime. And there's some truths in the Word of God about sowing a seed, about getting something started that many have overlooked. I just need someone to give something to me. No, you don't. You need to give something to somebody else. And let the, let the, the system get established where you start coming up and coming out. Okay? And our country does not, does not think this way. The welfare mentality that is pervasive in our society does not know about this truth. It's all about, I'm in need, give to me. I have a problem, give to me. No. You have a problem, give to someone else. You have lack, see who you can give to. Now, that doesn't mean you don't receive stuff coming to you because that's how the Lord does it. The Lord will give, uh, or lead other people to give to you and provide you opportunities, and that is the Lord meeting your need. But we all should all, always have a continual mindset of sowing. Amen. Of giving. Giving, giving, giving. Amen. Let me, read, let me read something to you in, in closing here tonight. Uh, maybe you can find yourself in here. But this is, this is a church, and so a lot of churches have different types of people. This is, uh, this is the Tater family. All right. In the Tater family, first of all, there's Dick, Dick Tater. He's the, he's the self-appointed potent who feels everything should be done his way he never serves or works he just bosses others then there's emmy tater Uh, she's the member of the family who follows all the latest fads she's never really discovered her own identity because she's always busy trying to be like someone else then there's hezzy hezzy tater when when hezzy is is asked to help at church he knows he should, but he always puts it off. He's sure he'll get around to it, uh, around to serving God someday. And then there's Carmen Tater. Carmen has an opinion about everything, and you never need to ask what she thinks because she's the first one to tell you. And then there's, of course, Spectator. Speck's favorite phrase is, I love work. I can watch others do it for hours. He doesn't get involved. But he's a great observer. Then there's, of course, Agitator. 
when Aggie was in school, she got poor marks on play, plays well with others. Aggie is continually in conflict with others and always seems to be involved in strife and division. No matter what the pastor or church does, it's never good enough in Aggie's eyes. And then, of course, there's Sweet Tater. (laughs) This is the only cordial and cooperative member of the Tater family. Sweet Tater is the ideal member of the church. She has a great attitude, is faithful, committed, supportive, and involved. She doesn't dictate, imitate, hesitate, commentate, spectate, or agitate. <laughs> and so we want, I just want to remind you again that we're to be together and we're to be contributing to each other and adding something to each other's lives, adding something to each other uh, in a corporate sense in what God is doing through us uh, together, uh, but we're not to be those who are just all these issues or ones who just put a drain on stuff, but we need to be lifting each other up. Amen. Let's keep our eyes out for, out for each other. See how the Lord would lead you to pray for another, to give to another, to be there, to just to, to help and, and support each other. God wants us to give priority to the relationship and the family that he's called us to. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you today. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for being our guide, for being our help. Lord, you've given us some, uh, some direction on how you expect us to be. You've given us some, uh, some truths about, uh, about sowing and reaping and about how you created this system to work. Lord, help us to recognize our part to play. Lord, thank you for reaping. Thank you for harvest. But help us to understand the sowing part into other people's lives, into the, into the ministry, into all that you do. We thank you now that your word is true. We refuse to doubt. We refuse to fear and worry and be sad or depressed. But we believe God that it will be even as it was told us. Even as you said, you said that we would reap if we don't faint. So, Lord, thank you for uh, increasing each and every one of us in all the good things that we have sown and all the good things that you have promised. Lord, we believe you're doing a work in us and help us to recognize our part in loving each other so that the world can look on and see your love in us. And desire you above all else. We give you all the praise. Thank you for doing a good work in us tonight. In Jesus' name. Amen.